0: He was sad as he could be. He sobbed and said, I feel so blue as tears ran down his cheeks. Oh, father, where is mother? She has not been home for weeks. His father said, lad, the tale is sad. She's down at suffrage hall. She's gone to fight for women's rights. Why, there's their bugle call. the tramp of their feet as they come down the street. Gee, those girlies look sweet, they're all dressed up so neat. Your dear old mom just took a fighter's place. She likes the smell of powder cause it's always on her face.
1: Okay, so I started my internship at the Air and Space Museum. Woohoo! And the first day I'm there, we have a live chat with a WASP expert who talks about Jackie Cochran and how Jackie Cochran might have been a racist. And I was like, there's new layers to this story. And I know it sounds weird that I'm thrilled that this person might have been a racist, but I'm just always interested to learn new things about people that I have known things about.
2: No, I Um, love when these stories come out and people are adding like the actual history the context part history history, yes and like the mm. actual person's views because we yes. often just
1: like glorify a figure and that's a but lot I with the suffragists this topic has it but it's just so interesting because we often glorify these people we could accept that she did really awesome things by getting women into the air force but also did really shitty things by making sure black women didn't get into the air force so. yes exactly but she did let in asian women there were apparently two chinese american wasps I also learned that. On a side note, can we, if we get
2: reviews, can we like read the reviews? Do you
3: want
1: to do a second where we like, read reviews? Like
2: every week, being like, because we can do that as like our banter if we can't, and be like, our weekly oh, review. listener is shout out just the review. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women.
3: Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Coming to you virtually from my closet-turned-podcasting studio is Lexi.
1: Lexi, if you were a single-issue voter, what issue would that be? Um, probably bird, bird care, bird health, bird ability to exist, bird ownership.
3: Are you a bird's rights activist? I'm a bird's rights activist. And her face is partially hidden by my clothes. But Haley, a.k.a. Sprinkle Bear McPussin Boots, is here too. Sprinkle Bear McPussin Boots, it's been two weeks since we last recorded and we already did one episode tonight.
2: Did you think I'd forget? I really was hoping you'd forget. (laughs) I did. I kind of forgot. I keep forgetting it's Sprinkle McPussin Boots. I keep thinking (laughs) it's like Sparkle or something. But like once in a while, that will creep into my mind.
3: (laughs) Lexi is losing her shit.
1: (laughs) Please contact us and direct your message to Haley using this title, please.
3: Sprinkle Bear McPlissin boots. And I'm Alana, and please God register to vote.
2: My registering to vote has not happened yet. Because of the goddamn DMV. That's and it fair. makes me so mad. I'm because... still registered in
3: California. I have well, to switch.
2: I'm registered in New but York. But I might be moving in
3: January. so Back to California? No. And with Lexi, hopefully. We haven't oh, talked yeah. about that. We'll see. It, we'll see. It, it, GW? That's the <laughs> dream.
1: But um, GW has to let me into
3: school. Yeah. Also. Okay, yeah. who's going first? That's not me.
1: Mabel Pinghua Lee was born in Guangzhou, China on October 7th, 1897. So shout outs to her upcoming 123rd birthday. Can we get some happy birthdays for my girl? Happy birthday in the chat. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, I don't know how to say happy birthday in Chinese because as is a common theme on our show, none of us speak Chinese, as you may know, as you may have knowledge of. But anyway, when Mabel was four, her father, a pastor, moved to the United States to work as a missionary and Mabel stayed with her mother in China. At the age of nine, Mabel earned a special scholarship, which was called the Boxer Indemnity Scholarship. I'm unsure why it is called that. That scholarship she received and allowed her to obtain a visa and move to the United States to go to school in the United States. And in 1905, her entire family relocated to New York City's Chinatown so that Mabel could pursue her education in America. There is no direct record of how Mabel got involved in the suffrage movement, but it is clear that through being a young, educated woman living in New York City, she was able to participate in activities being led by local suffragists. And then Mabel was beginning to become a leader in the movement in her own right. In 1912, Mabel helped manage a parade for suffrage, and she rode horseback. She helped direct the marchers from the parade starting point at Greenwich Village. Historical accounts suggest at least 10,000 spectators witnessed the parade which she led. Her participation in the suffrage movement led to another accomplishment. She was featured in the New York Tribune and the New York Times as a teen activist and an icon of New York's suffrage movement. That same year, Mabel started school at Barnard College, a women's school founded because Columbia was a men's only university at the time. She decided to major in history and philosophy. In college, Mabel joined the Chinese American Student Association and wrote for the Chinese Students Monthly Paper. Her essays such as The Meaning of Women's Suffrage supported her fight for women's rights. In 1915, Mabel gave a speech for the Women's Political Union and was again featured in the New York Times. Her speech was called The Submerged Half and focused on the gender divide in the Chinese American community. She urged Chinese Americans to educate their daughters and allow women to participate in civic life. In 1917, women in New York earned the right to vote in their state. In 1920, Some women were given the federal right to vote with the passing of the 19th Amendment, but many women, including Mabel, still could not vote. Mabel, like many other Chinese Americans, longed for citizenship and voting rights, but they could not obtain either. They were restricted from gaining citizenship through the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. Mabel would have to keep fighting in order to obtain her right to vote. After finishing her undergraduate degree, Mabel earned her MA from Columbia's Teachers College and she later earned her PhD in economics, also from Columbia. She was the first Chinese woman to earn a PhD in economics. She also published her thesis, The Economic History of China. Shortly after Mabel finished her doctorate, her father passed away. Mabel decided to take over his role as a church leader, becoming the director of the first Chinese Baptist Church of New York City. She also founded New York City's Chinese Christian Community Center, which offered courses in English and vocational skills to newly immigrated Chinese Americans. The center also provided healthcare and childcare to the Chinese community. The Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed December 17, 1943, 61 years after it was first enacted. The repeal of this act meant Chinese Americans could become citizens and, in doing so, earn the right to vote. Mabel passed away in 1966 no record of mabel becoming a us citizen or exercising her right to vote exists scholars remain unsure if the girl who fought to obtain the right to vote for so many other women ever even voted herself
2: wow i love her i know her from that's really interesting i know her where do i know her from oh a history book in high school she was like briefly mentioned and i'll i get into this with kind of like my background in women's suffragists, that She's was mentioned and never again. And uh, that happened so many times in high school of so many different women. They would just plop their name in, but not give like a history. Like I only knew Susan B. Anthony. And I thought Susan B. Anthony in my head did everything of the suffrage just or suffrage movement as it was explained.
1: I actually think it's, it's really amazing cigar. your high school book mentioned her because currently as of 2020, no K-12 through education standard in the United States mentions an Asian American woman by name. So, so
2: let me, maybe it wasn't a book. Let me rephrase this. My junior year American history high school class. I remember her name coming up.
1: That's just pretty impressive that your teacher included yeah. something that was off of the core standards. because She
2: was a rad lady.
0: Sure, this has been a great day for the suffragists. They've had parades and shakings and flags of fluttering tin stars in the breezes. They've had picnics and banquets and soap boxes on the corners. They wore sunflowers. And sang them noble words of Patrick Henry. Give me votes for women, or give me death. <laughs> but if Patrick Henry was a of today, he'd say for the love of my. Give them women votes before they talk us to death. But the suffragists want most of all is to have the Constitution of the United States amended so as to enfranchise all of the women of the country to once. Instead of going from door to door and state to state, asking the men, have you any ballots to spare a poor woman who hasn't had a ballot to bite since she left the state of Colorado? Now what the women want is to vote and by Gary the Octa. <laughs>
2: all right Haley, go for it so my gal today is delilah beasley so born in cincinnati ohio on september 9th 1876 She was mainly kind of known as an Oakland gal. Um, Shout out to the American Bookbinders Museum in San Francisco. That was my summer internship. I'm finishing actually my internship up right now. And she's one of the people I had to research for our um, exhibit that's online now, but will be in like our uh, gallery hall. And it's celebrating the 19th Amendment suffragists in print because it's a printing museum. She's from Ohio, but she's known in like the Oakland Bay area. So she's a local gal for our museum. And I loved like researching the local gals, knowing that I wouldn't be in San Francisco all that long. But also it's really cool that if you guys look on the actual exhibit, go again, plug the American Bookbinders Museum, celebrating the 19th amendment. We have like maps of San Francisco and where all like the printing presses from like the suffragist movement at, and I'm like, I've been to that street. Like, I know exactly that building. I've been at the, like, Jamba Juice or the Starbucks or the Gap that's, like, now there. Um, So that's very super cool. So back to Delilah. She is known as a writer, columnist, activist, suffragist, and just overall an incredible human being. Before, I want to highlight that being a black woman, Delilah Beasley is often overlooked when discussing women's right to vote and the suffragist movement. In her early life, she attended a segregated Cincinnati public school. And by the age of 12, she had begun to write and publish short social notices in the local black newspapers and some white newspapers, such as the Cleveland Gazette and Cincinnati Inquirer. She continued to write at the young age, published in her high school and spent time learning about journalism by working for the Colored Catholic Tribune. In the 1880s, so again, she was a teenager, her parents died and her siblings were separated. She had to leave her life of journalism and to be employed as a maid. As a maid, she also held so many different jobs and I couldn't figure out if she specifically was made and then left the job or just had three jobs at one time. I wouldn't be surprised if she had three, four, as many jobs as she needed to sustain herself and her siblings. But some of those in jobs included a hair, being a hairdresser, hydrotherapy, medical gymnastics, massage therapy, nursing, and she never let go of that ideal dream of being in journalism. In her spare time, she'd be researching Black history and becoming part of the thriving women's movement, especially within Black women and social groups. Some years later, she enrolled in history courses and began training herself in historical researching by visiting various libraries, diving into those archives that us as museum gals know and love, and conducting oral interviews with older Black residents, and I believe there's one, but it could have been many. This article that I read noted one in particular about their personal experiences as a Black person growing up and living in the United States. And again, this is late 1800s, early 1900s. She spent several years examining California newspapers between the 1840s and 1910s both black and white at UC Berkeley's Bancroft Library. and I believe that's still the university library today. She soon became lecturing on black history and eventually published articles in the Oakland Tribune and the Oakland Sunshine. After nine years of intense research on black history, Beasley published the Negro Trailblazers of California, which was all about black pioneers who had largely been left out of history books And these stories dated back to the early Spanish exploration of the United States. And honestly, I did not hear about this book in history class. So, yes, this is fantastic that this was published and was circulated, but our school system needs to do better and actually incorporate this rather than gloss over it. I'm going to just say it. I'm going to put it out there. In 1923, She started her own column, Activities Among Negroes, in the Oakland Tribune. She wanted to use her voice to highlight the achievements of Black Americans, support Black dignity and rights, raise awareness, and overall encourage forward movements towards building space for equality to blossom. And let's just put on another note, we still need to do a lot of work, Black Lives Matter. She would also travel to different newspapers, and major ones and small ones, the gamut, in the peak of newspapers and the suffragist movement to try to convince the editors to stop using racial language. And honestly, I can just imagine her walking in with her own column and her own work being like, I did it, look at this. We don't use bad words. We are inoffensive. If I can do it, you can do it. Let's all try. Like she was very encouraging of this is not saying this is wrong, which it is wrong. Let's be clear about that. But more showing the right way to do it. Um, Putting it into a more positive perspective, which honestly, it's negative. Don't use that harmful language in your writing. Bottom line. Over the next two decades, Beasley would also serve as an active member of the NAACP, the Alameda County League for Women Voters, the National Association of Colored Women, and just so many different active groups for suffragists, women's education, black women movement, black lives, just in general. Um, She was also the president of the Far Western Inter Radical Committee at the Oakland Museum, which side note, this is a very inclusive museum, like snaps to them, They are just amazing at getting their community as Oakland involved, just the community as the Bay Area involved, trying to be as diverse as possible. It's definitely on the bucket list of Bay Area museums. And I was supposed to go the week after it closed for COVID, which was really depressing because I had two free tickets from one of my classes. We just got them from like a speaker. She came in with vouchers and was like, here are vouchers i have and i was like i want that anyway i digress delilah beasley continued writing her column activities among negroes until her death in 1934. she's buried in oakland and i even did like the find my grave so that's available out there be respectful if you look it up and go and i just want to leave y'all with something she wrote which i think resonates with what we've been talking about as suffragist movement, recent months of Black Lives Matter, and just like Del- Lila Beasley in general. Truly, just please go Google her. Such an inspiring human. My life plus others make a peer to move the world. I therefore pledge my life to the living world of brotherhood and mutual understanding between the races. Like so simple. That's what I really kind of admired of her and everything. I had to write about her for the exhibit and just own research for this podcast going back. She was never a person, and this is seen in the suffragist movement of, you're wrong, I'm right.
1: When I worked at the Smithsonian Libraries and was working on an American Women's History project, she was on our shortlist of women who were being considered to be
2: featured, but unfortunately didn't make the final cut. There's a New York Times, I believe, for my look at the show notes. Everyone, don't quote me because I don't have my notes in front. All right, let me get historypod.tumblr.com. So there is like I'm looking at my notes. There is a New York Times I used the Huntington Library and Art Museum, but for just even I usually type in Delilah Beasley Museum. I do that for all my women. I see where they came up in museums. Um, that also connects you to like history sources national park service libraries and like i couldn't find like bios about her it was more they were showcasing specifically black women and suffragist movement or women's right well the library
1: the library was going to consider her because they have some of copies of the stuff she wrote oh that's so amazing. i think she comes up a lot in like how you found about her from a print type yes based museum yes. I think she comes up in like books and writing yes. based places that is definitely one hundred percent true,
3: okay, so I will be talking about Ida Bell Wells or Ida B. Wells, her middle name and her last name rhyme, and when she gets married, actually, which is really interesting is she doesn't change her last name, she doesn't take her husband's last name, which if your middle name and your last name rhymed, I would not I would not change my last name either. Her name is Ida Bell Wells, so she was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, on July 16th, 1862, into slavery, right at the height of the Civil War. Uh, She's the oldest of eight children. And then after the war, her parents become very politically active, like in Reconstructionist era, especially her father helps start Rust College, which is a historically Black college in Holly Springs. It's still around today. And that is where Ida went for early schooling. And eventually she was maybe expelled. I couldn't find anything to back that up, but somewhere was like, oh, she got kicked out for starting some shit with the dean or something. And I was like, I don't see this anywhere else, but interesting, okay. In 1878, she is 16 years old and her parents and her youngest brother die of yellow fever. So she lied about her age to take a teaching job. She convinced the school in Holly Springs that she was 18 and so she could teach. And so that's how she's supporting her, her siblings was by teaching and just like becoming a parent essentially. Um, and then in the 1880s, she finds another teaching job in Memphis, Tennessee, and she moves up to there fun anecdote. In 1887, she bought a first-class train ticket, but was removed because she's Black in segregation, and so they wanted to, like, force her into the smoking car. And she refused because she was like, hello, Uh, I bought a first-class ticket. You're going to put me in the first-class car. That's what I paid for. Capitalism. So when she refused, she was kicked off. She might have bit someone. She might have bit the guy who removed her. Maybe. I hope she did.
1: People were doing <laughs> it long before Rosa Parks. I'm just saying, before buses existed. Before buses existed, and we were biting people.
3: <laughs> Rosa Parks, up your game. Maybe bite someone. <laughs>
2: we don't condone biting. We honest. don't condone cast, biting. Please do I not. personally
1: condone biting racists, but okay. Okay, like biting racist. A Biting racists
3: is fine, but biting also keep your people. mask on. So maybe not right now for yeah, the biting actually, racists. Yeah. Right now,
2: no biting. Also, when you bite people, like why do you want their you skin don't want their germs and on germs on you? Just like don't bite people. Punch them, maybe. Like if they're being bad, bad people. Like don't go, don't. But go the, the human jaw is a powerful tool. It's true. <laughs> anyway, take <creeping> me out. <laughs>
3: So regardless of whether or not she bit someone, which is my favorite thing in the whole world, she sued the railroad for for making her leave essentially. Even
1: better than the biting. Sue the even racists. better.
3: Even better than that, she won. <laughs> Hayley's face is just like, what? And I'm like, yeah, she won. She won $500. And I didn't really feel like doing that conversion from like 1887 money to 2020 money, but it's probably a lot. (laughs) Unfortunately, later, the Supreme Court overturned it, like the railroad appealed, and appealed and appealed and the Supreme Court overturned it, and Ida was forced to pay court fees. So I guess that's where that $500 went. But that's really, that's something that's really cool. Wait, I just checked. It's $13,000. It's $13,000? Oh my god. That's so much money. Okay. It's not that much money, but it's so much money.
2: I would gladly take $13,000. Oh yeah. That's a a lot of money. (laughs) After being a teacher for a while, she's starting to
3: publish articles about race issues under the name Iola, I-O-L-A, in black newspapers and periodicals especially like as a teacher she talks a lot about segregation in schools and how this is like not good for the kiddos this this separate but equal that's bullshit everything sucks and this launches her journalism career she ends up owning shares of the memphis free speech and headlight and memphis free speech which are black owned kind of newspapers in memphis at the time in 1892, she turns her attention to covering lynchings after her friend Tom Moss and his business partners were murdered uh, because their grocery store was taking customers away from the white grocery store. And so she publishes this pamphlet called Southern Horrors. And that's all I'm going to say about her investigations of lynchings because this is a fun podcast and that's a little dark. And I think only one trigger warning episode per 10 episodes. And we just did that a couple weeks ago. So no. After she's calling all this attention to lynchings, she had to, she's run out of Memphis. She has to leave. And she moves to Chicago. And from Chicago, after fleeing Memphis, she writes, If this work can contribute in any way towards proving this, and at the same time arouse the conscience of the American people to demand for justice to every citizen and punishment by law for the lawless, I shall feel I have done my race a service. Other considerations are minor. Which I just think is very poignant that like, yes, you ran me out of my home, but if this is what fixes it, so be it. After moving to Chicago, this is where she begins to gain international notoriety and found some organizations. She travels around the world talking to suffragists and criticizing them for not talking about lynchings and just being like, hi, this is cool. What are you doing for Black women? What are you doing for people of color? What's your deal? Tell me. Why aren't you thinking about this? And in 1894, she establishes the British Anti Lynching Society and comes back and settles back in Chicago. This is just like all of her really cool organizations that she's founded. In 1896, she becomes a founding member of the National Association of Colored Women. She brought her anti-lynching campaign to the White House in 1898 to President McKinley and demanded reforms. I don't think anything happened, but she did go to the White House and demand reforms. So that's cool. In 1909, she was at the first meeting of an organization that would later become the NAACP, but she's not listed officially as a founding member, possibly because they weren't like, action-based enough for her at the beginning. She wanted, like, real action in their mission statements, and they didn't say anything about that. So on January 30th, and I'm only bringing up the exact date, do you guys want to guess why the date January 30th might be important to me? Because it's your birthday. It is my birthday. Who win as friends. So January 30th, 1913, she found the Alpha Suffrage Club. And they play a pivotal role as soon as that June when they get um, the Illinois Equal Suffrage Act passed. They play a pivotal role in 1915 in getting Chicago's first Black alderman elected, and his name is Oscar DePriest. Ida and several of her Alpha Suffrage Club members are invited to the 1913 suffrage parade in Washington, D.C., but the organizers we're worried about offending the southerners and so they make the black women and the women of color march at the back and ida is pissed and she won't march with them until the white contingent is past her and then she joins the parade which cool but also you're still marching at the back i don't really understand what point that you were trying to prove i don't know but okay cool Just a little bit of the boring stuff. This is actually the most boring part about her is, I'm going to talk about her husband and her children. Super boring. In 1895, after returning from England, she married a man named Ferdinand Barnett, who was an attorney and a fellow activist, and they had four children. And Ida did not take his name, which was extremely odd for the time, and still not like as big a thing in 2020. It's gaining traction, but it's not like the norm. Another interesting thing about their relationship is that he did the cooking and the cleaning and made dinner for their children almost every night. Um, You said this was
1: going to be boring. I'm not bored. I'm interested.
3: This is how cool this lady is, is that even the most boring shit about her is super interesting. His activism and his law career kind of took a backseat while he was raising these children and she was going out and just being a political activist and an all-around badass and he's like at home with their kids which I think is really cool. In her final years she was kind of fading from popularity and influence but she still worked on urban reform especially mass incarceration was something that she was really involved in and and actively like that was her cause. She switched from once women like got the right to vote she was like okay cool sort of for now uh let's talk about mass incarceration
1: we're still talking about it today
3: we're still talking about it today nothing changes nothing changes that's a bad i'm going last that's a bad note to end this podcast this episode on but nothing changes changes gradual and slow changes gradual and slow that's true So the last few years of her life, she actually becomes a probation officer and works, like, with these people who have been mass incarcerated and, like, rehabilitating them, sort of. In 1930, she ran for Illinois State Senate and lost horribly, but she still ran. That's pretty cool. Like, she is not—women running for office is not new, which I think is really interesting. At the age of 68 in 1931, she died of kidney disease. And I just feel like she was doing so much good all the way until the end that it's very moving. There is now a, we all lived in DC for a while. There is a mosaic of her at Union Station in DC. um, And the mosaic is made of other suffragists and their posters and their propaganda and no comment uh, as to whether or not I cried reading the Washington Post article about it I uh, no comment I will not be taking questions at this time
1: one of my co-workers her friend worked on the exhibition and she was able to get a poster of the posts of the floor and it's in that's her so house cool. now that's so cool
3: I I did cry <laughs> if that wasn't obvious I was reading about it and I cried
2: go vote Please go do everything in your vote. power to vote during Visit this
1: pandemic Visit vote.org. Visit vote.org. Register yourself to vote. Get voting information. Go check out how to vote locally. Use a mail-in ballot if you are in an area where you don't think it is safe for you to go to the polls. If you can get to the polls, get to them. Wear a mask to vote. Be there
3: are safe. also areas
1: that you can sign up to be a poll worker. Yes, um,
2: yes.
3: Which is what I'm doing. I've signed up for that because that. a lot of them are paid. I have no money. Despite being that. a professional podcaster, I have no money, and it's just like a way to do good in your community, especially in like underserved communities. So, so yes, get to the, the get to the polls.
1: Help your friends get to the polls. Get to Make sure
3: your friends are registered to vote. Register to vote. Also, vote just early, spread awareness.
2: If early, voting is can. something difficult for you like for me i might not even be able to get like a write-in ballot because i will be moving and then in quarantine to go vote it is still unknown dmv is not handling it well for me but like i'm still spreading the awareness of voting spread the history of how women black people other people of color Other countries even getting their right to vote. It's helpful knowledge as a U.S. citizen.
1: And remember, some people in America who even are citizens cannot vote. So you have a right to vote so you can do it for them who can't.
3: So the two websites that you should go to, in addition to our show notes, are powertothepolls.org. I think it's it's .org. And vote.org to check your registration.
1: And if neither of those work for you, dude, there are so many other websites out there. Find the one that works for you, get the information you need, figure out how your state and your local community handles all this. People, I feel like,
3: are like, it's a right to vote. And yes, it's a right to vote, but also it's your responsibility. I think if you can, it's
2: your responsibility. And voting matters, like your vote matters. I know a lot of people will even say recently that your vote doesn't count, ab- absentee ballot doesn't like matter. No, it matters. Come on. Like our electoral college is very screwy and needs a lot of work, just our whole system needs a lot of work, but regardless, voting is important. Okay.
3: And we have to vote out the fascist. Lexi, you can decide whether or not to keep that in, but vote out the fascist. It's the last s- chance we have.
1: I'm sure people can already assess. Our political opinions based on the topic of our podcast. (laughs) People can guess. (laughs) And the fact that we're archaeologists and out of work. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself.
3: Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Lexi Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Go fucking vote.
2: Next week on Lady History, it'll be raining men. Psych. I'll be raining in My urge to sing, and we'll be talking about some fabulous queens.
0: The streets were lined with people, there were crowds along the way. The husbands brought their children for the troops were home that day. And all the men looked for their wives, the kids yell for their moms. They longed to see the heroine all full of battle scars. The lad so fair with curly hair said, Pa, let's shout hooray. Ma's home crew blue to fight with you, no more you'll have to say. Hear the tramp of their feet as they come down the street. Those girlies look sweet They're all dressed up so neat Now all